This is Dina Weiss for Hadar on Parashat Devarim, conveying the subtlety. Moshe is constantly under suspicion. Even when the people aren't actively trying to undermine his authority, even when they are not complaining to or about him, there is still a rumbling about Moshe and rumors about his behavior. In this week's parsha, Moshe commences his final speech to the people. In it, Moshe acknowledges his awareness of how he has been treated. He uses this moment of openness as an opportunity to not only deliver mild rebuke to the people, but also to provide guidance to future leaders and how to ameliorate suspicion and its harmful effects. In the Talmud, Rabbi Yonatan describes one extreme form of the people's suspicion of Moshe, the leader whom God described as the most trustworthy of my household. Vayishma Moshe vayipol al-panav. Moshe heard what Korach and his allies were saying, and he fell on his face. Ma What did he hear? Amar Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani, Amar Rabbi Yonatan, shechashaduhu me'eshet ish, shenamar vayikanu lemoshe b'machane. Amar Rabbi Shmuel bar Yitzchak, milamed, shekol echad v'yachad, kineyet ishto mimoshe, shenamar umoshe yikachat ha'ohel, v'natalo michutz l'machane. Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani said that Rabbi Yonatan said, they suspected him of adultery, as it says, they were jealous of Moshe in the camp. Rabbi Shmuel bar Yitzchak said, this teaches that every single person forbade their wives from being secluded with Moshe, as it says, and Moshe would take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp. Rabbi Yonatan explains that Moshe was suspected of sexual impropriety by the men of his community. And Rabbi Shmuel bar Yitzchak explains why. His proof for the fact that every single man would warn his wife against being alone with Moshe is not a verse that describes the behavior of the people of the camp, but rather the behavior of Moshe. Moshe's behavior was inscrutable to the people. If Moshe is the leader of the people, what good reason could he possibly have for placing his tent outside of the camp's borders? Therefore, it must be that Moshe is up to no good. They assumed, reasonably, if uncharitably, that he placed his tent in a secluded area in order to provide himself with the opportunity to act improperly with married women. Lest you think that Moshe could have obviated this problem by moving his tent back into the camp, the Midrash Sifrei makes it clear that if Moshe would have responded to the slander and shifted his location, the people would have been suspicious of that too. In his speech, Moshe describes how difficult and large a burden judging the people by himself was. How can I alone bear your troubles, your burdens, and your arguments? The Midrash Sifrei explains that the true burden of the people that so frustrated Moshe was their suspicious approach and impossible to please attitude. Your burden. This teaches that they were irreverent. If Moshe left early, they would say, What inspired the son of Amram to leave? Maybe things aren't okay in his house. 
if Moshe left late, they would say, what inspired the son of Amram not to leave? What do you think? He's probably sitting there making plans and devising schemes against you. Moshe was in a lose-lose situation. The people were capable of reading evil intent into all of his behaviors. There was no easy solution. Moshe's innocence did not affect how his actions were perceived. He was always being watched and always being judged unfavorably. Interestingly, Moshe does not protest. Instead, Moshe responds not by declaring his innocence, but by responding to these concerns in a substantive way, by appointing additional judges. This neutralizes some of the suspicion of Moshe, because when there are many judges, the people can be exposed to different types of behavior. They can see that Judge Miriam leaves her tent early, and Judge Naftali leaves his tent late. So the people will understand that no conclusions can be drawn from when a judge leaves his or her home. They'll notice that Judge Menashe always smiles at everyone, and that Judge Shifra is careful never to smile. And the people will see that every judge has a different way of relating to people. By distributing the responsibility, Moshe also distributes the celebrity and makes it less likely that people will be scrutinizing and finding meaning in his behavior, no matter how arbitrary or idiosyncratic. However, appointing more judges will not completely solve the problem of scrutiny and the misreading of subtle cues. Therefore, our legal tradition abounds with instructions to the judges to not only strive for impartiality, but to appear completely impartial as well. Our rabbis taught, judge your fellow fairly so that one litigant will not be seated while the other stands, one allowed to speak to the fullest extent while the judge tells the other, be brief. According to this Baraita, in Masechet Shavuot, a truly fair and righteous judge not only meets out correct decisions, but exhibits balanced behavior throughout the court's proceedings. No litigant receives special treatment, and no person who enters the court leaves with the impression that their voice was not fully heard. Even if the judge knows what the litigant is going to say, even if he judges in favor of that litigant, he still may not tell anyone in his court to be brief, lest they get the impression that they matter less and that justice is not equally their right. In Masech and Sanhedrin, there are even more admonitions to the judges to be scrupulous in appearing impartial in not showing favor to either side of a dispute. Lo takiru panim b'mishpat. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, lo takiruhu. Rabbi Elaz Omer, lo tenakaruhu. Do not show favor in judgment. Rabbi Yehuda says, do not recognize him. Rabbi Elazar says, do not be a stranger toward him. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Elazar disagree on the method of conveying neutrality. Should a judge be friendly towards everyone or be cool to them? However, they are united in their understanding that impartiality is not only about the verdict, but also about the tone of the proceedings. Both litigants should feel that they are being treated in the exact same way by all members of the court. The word that both Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Elazar's teachings hinge upon is takiru, recognize. This word is particularly resonant 
as it reminds us of a foundational story about the perils of showing favoritism. The theme of recognition is central to the story of Yosef and his brothers. When Yaakov's children try to trick him into thinking that his favorite son has been mauled by a wild animal, they bring Yosef's special coat dipped in blood to their father, and they ask him if he recognizes it. They took Yosef's coat and they slaughtered a male goat and dipped the coat in the blood. They sent the fine coat and brought it to their father. They said, we found this. Now, do you recognize it? Is it or is it not the coat of your son? Yaakov recognized it and he said, it is the coat of my son. A wild animal consumed him. Yosef has been torn apart. Yosef was hated by his brothers because of their perception that he was favored by their father Yaakov. The coat was the subtle, or not so subtle, sign that Yaakov particularly loved the precocious son of his favorite wife. It is therefore fitting that the prohibition against showing favoritism should remind us of this harrowing story. Hurt feelings are terrible in and of themselves, but not only that, they can also lead to truly devastating consequences. Treating everyone equally is so critical that it is not only judges who are enjoined to behave with impartiality, it is not only parents who are enjoined to act fairly. The Midrash Tanaim employs the same verse to extend the requirements of neutral behavior from the courtroom to the classroom. Lo takir panim. Vahalo amar lo takiru panim b'mishpat. Ela zo azhara. L'chachamim. Keshehat hamidim yoshvin lifnehem. Lo yihiyum alamdim l'echad umanichin l'echad. Do not show favoritism. But it already said, do not show favoritism in judgment. Rather, the second verse is a warning to the wise people that when students are sitting before them, they should not teach one and leave the other. Rather, the second verse is a warning to the sages that when students are sitting before them, they should not teach one and leave the other. This Midrash understands the importance of recognizing every student in the class. If one person feels ignored, like her comments aren't relevant and her questions do not deserve to be recognized, she will be devastated. Students remember every slight. They'll pick up on a pattern of exclusion that the teacher themselves don't even notice, let alone intend. In the courtroom, there is a structure that ensures that every litigant gets heard. In the classroom, a teacher has to be even more vigilant to make sure that no voices are being excluded and that no one feels that they are subtly being told that they do not belong. And in fact, this obligation to be aware of who else is or is not in the room, to be sensitive to the subtle signals that our conduct sends, devolves on everyone. As the Talmud explains, Shamoa ben achichem u'shifatatem. Amar Rabbi Hanina, azhara lebeitin shelo yishma divrei baaldin kodem shayavo baaldin chavero.
Listen to what is between your brothers and judge. Rabbi Hanina said this is a warning to a court that it should not listen to the claims of one litigant until his fellow litigant arrives. And it is a warning to the litigant that he should not justify himself to the judge before his fellow litigant arrives. Rabbi Hanina states unequivocally that no litigant should have a private audience with the judge. This is in line with all the prohibitions that we have seen against the judge allowing preferential treatment in even the smallest way. What is unique about Rabbi Hanina's formulation is that he places the responsibility to maintain an unbiased court on the shoulders of the individual litigants as well. Not only does the judge have to be careful to distribute his attention fairly, each of the litigants has to be careful that they do not demand or invite what is not rightfully theirs. We live in a time of high quantity of communication and low quality of communication. Because we can say so much, it's even harder to pay attention to how we are speaking. Moshe's leadership is a cautionary tale. We should always remain aware that we are constantly sending subtle cues to everyone we encounter. People feel judged and criticized by us. People feel validated and encouraged by us. Our words, actions, lack of words, and lack of actions are constantly being interpreted as affection, hatred, warmth, and hostility. This danger becomes even more pronounced when we communicate by text and email, which invites people to look for clues in what we've written, which they would not need to guess at if the words were spoken face to face. We are called to be aware of the fact that we are constantly communicating, even against our will, and to take responsibility for what we have said. Rather than tell others not to read into things, we have to understand that it is inevitable that they will. We need to be as clear as possible in communicating, and we need to do so with the proper tone. Everything, how long it takes us to reply, whether we use exclamation points, what kind of salutations we use, and so on, will be read. And we must expend effort on trying to minimize the chances that we will be read incorrectly. And we also need to relax. Moshe had to leave his house. If he left early, someone would be insulted. If he left late, someone else would read that timing as a slight. There's only so much we can do to control how we are perceived. And we also need to cut others some slack. Sometimes your friend didn't respond because she was swamped at work, not because she hates you. Sometimes your boss doesn't say hi to you because he doesn't want to interrupt you, not because he doesn't value you or your work. Sometimes an exclamation point is just punctuation and not a referendum on your relationship. Sometimes a period is just that. As we invest in expressing ourselves more clearly, may we also come to read others more generously. Wishing you a Shabbat of fairness and generosity. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Divrei Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org Torah.